Hi, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Damika Brown. And we're biracial unicorns. Pilgrims. What the hell was up with all the buckles? Masochists, man. Sadomasochists. <laughs> we just should have known. Like, <laughs> it, they weren't hiding anything. It was all in the dress. Yeah, it, was, it was all right there on the hat. <laughs> can, can you imagine just been like, we're going to go into the buckle business? <laughs> it's going to be huge. Shoes, hats, outfits. Cinch the waist. Buckles yeah. for all. Buckles for all. Oh, <laughs> pilgrims. <laughs> We're heading right in, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's a very special time of year, Danny. We're just like in a special place where we're nestled into the day formerly known as Columbus Day. And then just off into the distance, Thanksgiving. And I think it's just like, we just want to pause. We want to safely gather around those we love and appreciate and just really show just love and discuss settler colonialism. You know, it's what you do. Yeah, yeah it's it's what you do. I'm like happy to shine a light on it at this time of year. But oh, my God, if it's not <laughs> constant in our lives. Oh, so heavy. <laughs> It, you know, when we were we were researching for the show and I was just like, I was just I would have to take so many breaks. I would have to take so many breaks because it's just so infuriating. And I feel like it's for me coming from Albuquerque, living overseas and then living in a place like Washington State where there's this constant kind of push and denial and lack of acceptance and teaching of settler colonialism when we play when we live in a place like Chehalis. And Tacoma, like things that are I know. I know. I think about that often. So many state names are indigenous names, right? And I like. I think about Oklahoma, which is from from my tribe. It's a thing. I think you had a really great suggestion that we start off with, kind of a a land acknowledgement. We, as regular listeners to the show, know we record remotely. We are not in the same place, so. We have, of course, we're talking about the U.S. and globally yes. uh, today, mm-hmm. but I think starting with the hyperlocal is a great idea. Exactly. So without giving too much <laughs> away from where I live. Yeah. What's your address again? <laughs> right, right. If you want to send me stuff, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> no toes. I'm not into it. I, I live in Pierce County. And what's crazy about here is because it's really close to something called Nache's Trail. So because of that, it was a massive trail over here in order used for people from Nisqually, Piawala, from Squeamish and from Silicon tribes that were there. They were um, Silicon, sorry. And they would use that a lot for back and forth from Bonnie Lake all the way over to this uh, riverside. And it's crazy because that very trail was then, of course, used by settlers in order to expedite their colonialism to kind of live by that, drive by that, drive on it and just have that reminder. So I just want to acknowledge that I'm recording on their traditional land. Yeah, so I'm I'm coming at you from from New Mexico. New Mexico's a little a little different. Of course, we do have our own unique brand of colonialist history and it's further complicated for me as a biracial unicorn since half of my family is definitely <laughs> descended at least in part by the colonizers of this land. But yeah, New Mexico is interesting because Native Americans do make up more than 10% of the population of New Mexico. Albuquerque, where I'm located, is actually the seventh largest urban native population. So I think for me in particular growing up and also being indigenous, even though I am removed from my ancestral home, I feel like I have always been exposed to indigenous people and indigenous practices more than perhaps somebody in a very white city in the center of the country. So I so I'm 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 grateful for that but also recognize that it isn't without its problems as well. Mm. So within New Mexico there are 24 
federally recognized Native nations. And that's something that I don't think we'll go too deeply into today. But just in case you aren't aware, listeners, there are a lot of Native groups who are not federally recognized. So this is just the 24 that are federally recognized. There's 20 Pueblos, there's three Apache nations, and then there's, of course, the Diné, the Navajo Nation as well here in New Mexico. Here in Albuquerque specifically, I am recording from unceded Tewa lands, and there are several populations, Pueblos, here, the closest being the Sandia Pueblo, which is also interesting because I have a cousin who's Sandia. So for me, I think I very much don't ever think of Indigenous people as invisible as they tend to be in other parts of the country. And I also, in terms of doing the land acknowledgement, I'm always conflicted about it because I I do think it's important, but for me, it often feels very performative. Mm. But I'm continually reminded that not everywhere does it. People don't do it all the time. It feels like within the circles I'm in, I hear them all the time. But then, for example, I directed a play in South Carolina earlier this fall. And as part of my curtain speech, did a land acknowledgement. And one of my students with her family came up to me afterwards and said how much they appreciated that. They Mm. were a Black family, but they were like, we never hear that. And it's really important that these things are said out loud. So I thought that was really cool. So I'm glad we're doing it of mixed feelings. One thing I definitely want to encourage people to do is to think about action beyond just listening to this podcast and talking about it, if at all possible. I wanted to shout out just three organizations local to here that I think people should support. Tewa Women United, Pueblo Action Alliance, and First Nations Community Health Source, which is actually my doctor. Um, but they're 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 an organization that provides healthcare to um, Indigenous folks. And I I love that. That is such a good point about above and and beyond. And you're right, the land acknowledgement, and I can see even within your circle of that feeling performative, but I'm really glad you had that experience of someone saying that they appreciate it, of just hearing it, because I think there's people who still have not even the inkling to want to do the work of finding it, of what's going on here. And like I said, I think for me, when I first got here of getting becoming new and getting acquainted with the land of almost being overwhelmed by the amount here. I mean, we even have yeah. Yakima, we have Sahelish, and of course, like the Puget Sound region, once you said those are not even being recognized and them kind of coming together and looking at their resources, it can seem where to where even begin and start with that. And I think that that is just it. I think just even recognizing like where you work, where you go to school, and just starting from that point and being like, okay, what about this history and working from that way backwards, I think is a really good place to start when you want to think about a land ownership and understanding and that acknowledgement. And I think that helps you kind of put you in that place of where do you fit in that? And we'll talk about that a little bit more about where do you fit in that dynamic? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say in terms of, of what probably both of us said today, I wouldn't treat either of those as like a, a typical land acknowledgement that I would do like in an, at an yeah. event. Because I feel like we're giving the context throughout the rest of this episode. Yeah. 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 So settler colonialism. What a huge fucking topic. (laughs) I don't. So I, I think for this one, I think realizing that within our time frame, we are probably going to just kind of give like what it is. Once again, our famous kind of what it what it isn't, what that looks like, how that plays out today. Oh, gosh. We both before the show just talked about how overwhelming and how our notes are just where how do we make a fluid conversation about this? And I just think kind of jumping in into it, <laughs> I guess. So, so, so Dan, what is settler colonialism? Yeah, good question. So when we're talking about colonialism, there are lots of things we can be talking about. There's lots of types of colonialism. So in true biracial unicorns fashion, I'm going to kind of lay out what it is and what it isn't all in a mishmash. So I think two very broad ways to think about colonialism. There is external colonialism and there is internal colonialism. So external colonialism is the 
exporting of fragments of the indigenous world. So animals, plants, human beings, all of those being exported somewhere else in order to build the wealth, the privilege, or to feed the appetites of colonizers. So examples of this would include like the diamond trade, water, oil, minerals for high-tech devices. All of that is like a form of external colonialism. Internal colonialism is the management within so-called domestic borders to ensure that a nation and its elite are built up. And so... Within the U.S., we see that reflected as prisons, ghettos, schooling, policing. All of these are a form of internal colonialism. When we're talking about settler colonialism, it is simultaneously all of these things, but also like this doesn't define settler colonialism in and of itself. It's like two components of a much larger topic. So Settler colonialism is really about being a distinctive method of colonization. The idea is settlers come to the land in order to stay rather than it being a singular event. It is a a structure, a systematic structure that involves the elimination of indigenous populations and their sovereignty and exercises control over their land. Unlike ideas of like post-colonialism, settler colonialism never goes away. There's never an end to it. It doesn't cease happening. It's just, it continues. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's a structure, Mm -hmm. not an event. And unlike other forms of colonialism and these ideas of like external and internal colonialism, the goal is to continue to maintain those imbalances of power. And eventually, the idea is whatever has transposed the original peoples, the original rules, the original relationships to land becomes the supreme unchallenged state and people. So it's about it's about transformation. It's about taking and it's about erasure. Mm-hmm. And it also holds on to this idea that's prevalent within colonization as an idea that the lands initially were kind of empty. They were they were virginal. Oh, yeah. They're desolate. Yes, no, and no one's yes, wild, untamed land. I know that was like a lot. <laughs> I tried to make it as simple as I could, but I feel like it's a very no. complicated idea. No, but the way you did it though was perfect because it does take aspects of internal and external very well and almost a very cyclical kind of way. One led to the other, which feeds into the other, which does, and you're completely it's an evasive type. Yeah. of colonialism yeah. right it was meant to replace not coexist yes and and, and not and not even domination utterly replace and that's what actually sets it apart as well and the way you said about it being a structure not an event and i i love when i was reading about it i love the way that they they phrase that into it that's this existing going on structure event constantly not just an event that we can say oh we had this war there was this battle there was this event no it is one thing it's a whole system and it is very much about elimination and so i think danny did such a great job because it does encompass capitalism colonialism and it does take it apart into the erasure like it has both hands deep within both of those categories and they pretty much feed and make this really ugly baby of settler colonialism so examples of it obviously are the u.s canada Mm -hmm. australia south africa Mm -hmm. i hope i don't get canceled in china but china i mean you guys i mean we, we put ourselves on there first so in terms of understanding the events of the world globally, mm. you need to understand settler colonialism to really understand Israel, Kenya, Argentina. Like, it's just so prevalent. The system is so prevalent. And while we can just look at the U.S. as kind of a case study and what it is, you really have to understand it globally. I think that makes a really great point. And I think that's another reason what sets settler colonialism apart as well, is that you're right, we could go case by case, but there's this 
ongoing interconnection of it. Not just several examples of it happened here in Africa, it happened here in China, it here, but being able to look at it the whole model um, because they actually do very much intersect within that and taking a models of how do we completely erase that? How do we change identity? What that looks like dehumanization and, and how it plays out within conflicts even today. Yeah, I, And I think that's why it can be a bit overwhelming talking about settler colonialism because when we start talking about family structure, addiction, erasure, distrust, poverty. When we start looking at some of these other issues that we talk about quite a bit, we can really boil it boil it down. Danny, and, and very much in the beginning of the show, and I talked about it all boils down to race. And when we talk about that, we're able to give certain things labels. It boils a lot down <laughs> into that thick syrup that is settler colonialism. And so it was interesting to even pick this topic now as we've been coming up on doing the show for about three years is that I think we took very, not basic, but took really wide topics in the very beginning. And we started to reduce them down to be able to give them a very clear direction and kind of name and claim it. And this is very, very much settler colonialism. And we'll try our best to give <laughs> to kind of give a little more narrative of what that like looks like in, in examples but once again this is this is a topic that is so much bigger than a uh, unicorns can do in an hour or four or yeah. three days yeah a week i mean <laughs> whole books whole papers whole dissertations are written around this topic so it, it is a complicated issue Early on in the show, too, in terms of timeline of biracial unicorns, I feel like we talked about how we were the product, each of us, of colonialism. And I would take it further to say that we're each the product of settler colonialism. So I think being biracial unicorns, we have complicated relationships with with this idea because we occupy weird spaces that are we're we're descendants of all sorts of people within this system people mm. on opposing sides of the system and so where does that leave us as individuals within the system and i think something i didn't mention in my definition of settler colonialism but i think it's important to mention before we dive further it's kind of like a triad there's like three aspects in terms of people within the system right there are the settlers who are the colonizers there are the indigenous people who are being displaced and attempted to be erased and then there's also the slaves the people who are being brought over to work and are being made effectively landless also. Mm-hmm. There are three aspects to this. And so when we're we're talking about it, we have to recognize all three parts. And when we're later talking about like decolonization, how these three roles are each addressed separately within that process. Mm-hmm. It's like she was reading my <laughs> mind. Get out of there, Danny. There's nothing good for you in there. But I like those roles are very clear. And I think processing and going further into your journey and of acknowledgement and education of settler colonialism, you have to realize first which category you're in and, and also realizing that it's not going to be this perfect blend and also understanding your identity within that. So I want to ask Danny about how she feels and her experience within these categories. But for me personally, of being both white and black, realizing that I would not be here if slaves were not brought here. <laughs> and having to be very aware of that, but also realizing that I still very much benefit from the land that was indeed stolen. So having to reconcile and acknowledge my part in also occupying, not just because I am also mixed with white, but also occupying that even in today, I very much benefit from stolen land. So for me being in that category of like, that was brought here, and landless that I also do occupy the circle of, of, a, of a settler. And I, I have to, I have to do that. And I think for someone who does you know, social justice work, you know, wants to be a co-conspirator doing the work, it's one of those things of having to rework your mind, dealing with your own bias, your shortcomings, your ignorance, and putting yourself in that, no, 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 if I'm benefiting that and I am not from here, what is that equal? And that is complicated. <laughs> that is indeed complicated. But I think it's also very important for unicorns of color who are not indigenous. And I think by not doing that, you can kind of really withhold the 
the process of being a, a co-conspirator from really fully educating yourself and being able to try to see what is next for actually coming alongside the indigenous community going forward but danny what is i just i just want to hear about your experience of what that with that identity because <laughs> we love talking about identities right what does it look Girl, like for you personally um <laughs> uh, so I'm here. In case you haven't heard me talk about this before, listeners, I I am very mixed. My mother is Chicana and she is New Mexican, old New Mexican. Trace back our roots to the conquistadors that came over. But if you look at my family, we are not like white from Spain. <laughs> so there is clearly some mixing going on there. And not to be like, the genetic test person. But based on my sister's genetic test, there is just no way that my mother's family is all just pure Spanish. There is no way that the, the racial makeup of my sister could have been the way that it is with that. So there's that things lost to time. Who knows? Because in, in true true settler colonialist fashion it's really about holding on to to that dominant identity throughout the years on my father's side it's equally complicated as we are mixed choctaw and white and so choctaw history is a very complicated history as one of the five so-called civilized tribes since Originally, my ancestral lands are in what is now Mississippi, but thanks to the Trail of Tears, my my current nation is in what is now Oklahoma. Yeah, I have a complicated, complicated feelings about it because and I've had these complicated feelings literally my entire life, learning about mm. the attempted erasure and genocide of <laughs> the Native American people on this continent. I remember learning this at a pretty young age, actually, probably younger than a lot of people and feeling very complicated about it and thinking about one side of my family conquering another side where another side conquered another side and then these two if like it's just a total mess and so in terms of settler colonialism not only is there that complicated history and my own struggle with it there is also the fact that i you know i live in a a place where i do have ancestors who were original colonizers of this land and i'm a, a land owner i do have land that has been in my family that was given to us from the crown of spain so like i i have that land and i own a house and so i do benefit and buy into the system and i have to like acknowledge that but i also recognize the harm that has been done to me and the stripping of my own identity that has been done. So yeah, I have a complicated, complicated feelings about it all mm. around. And I don't, I don't ever know exactly how to identify, honestly. Mm. But I do think like I present as very indigenous and I think there is, I don't want to sound so dramatic, but I feel like there is a form of like resistance and just me occupying the skin that I'm in and being in the world. So I feel that strongly. I don't know. It's all a mess. <laughs> I know, actually, I'm getting like a little emotional just hearing. I, I, I didn't that, that was, I don't know where that's coming from. I, I think of just, just realizing that at the top of the show, just it's so much more. And land is important. Land is a big, big freaking deal uh a big massive part of settler yeah. colonialism because it was just kind of this base of occupation and but in order to get that land let, let us make it very very clear that we're using words like erasure what we mean is like yeah. genocide forbidding indigenous people to use their language yeah. to, having yeah missionaries come and take their children away from them like we're, we're, we're using these language very broadly but let's be a little bit more specific of what that putting racist bias on those because in order to deem this untamed land right this uh, quote-unquote unoccupied land they had to make it the settler dream a very high pure standard of reason and and it's just very well known that if you put something on a pedestal if you praise something if something is pure and good then you have to demonize something else in order to keep yes. it that way and that's what happened with indigenous people yeah and i think when we're talking about that like erasure and and those things in particular to be it's important to continue to remind everyone or maybe tell people maybe they don't know but like these ideas 
ideas of taking children and these residency schools, like they're not old. This isn't like old history. This is this is relatively new history. Like you're you would be hard pressed to find an indigenous person in this country who does not have a family member within the last couple maybe even three generations, who is a product of these systems. Like with me, myself, my great uncle, my great uncle, my great, great uncle, I was listening to a, a an oral history of his and then, you know, he talks about being sent away to a school. And so I think that I can feel like the reverberations of this removal from my culture looking backwards because it was like by design that I am Mm -hmm. removed from my indigenous culture. And within the Choctaw culture, it's all matrilineal. I think it, yeah, I think in terms of when we're talking about, um, people within the system and we've talked about this before it's like the the exact opposite was done to black people and to indigenous people in this country both in the name of settler colonialism of white supremacy of whole of taking land and taking people and having so-called rightful claim to it so the exact opposite was done and it's interesting because with it and i'm talking about the one drop rule essentially one drop rule versus yes. blood quantum um and i think it's interesting because we see so many white people who claim to have indigenous heritage and they claim it oh, almost always exclusively through their grandmother's side and i think that that's absolutely by design it's a very intentional mm-hmm. because i think these white people do not want to associate themselves with this image of the like bloodthirsty savage indigenous man that they've crafted mm-hmm. and so like tracing their lineage back to like an indian princess is so much like softer and easier to mm-hmm. to digest and i think it's also indicative of of white supremacy because historically white culture is very patrilineal and so by saying it's like on your grandmother's side it's like harder to trace but it's interesting to me because my the indigenous history that i can trace is through my paternal side and it's also like a source of sadness for me because within Choctaw culture it is matrilineal so like there's like my closest but those genetics had to change didn't that so my closest like matrilineal relation is my great-grandmother who I knew who I you know she's alive in my lifetime and I knew her and I have a box of blankets she made me uh, just over to the side. But yeah, so it makes me really sad to think about that lineage is very much traced um, within indigenous cultures. And then you have white people claiming that lineage through through that same line, but like can't find who it is. Like, I don't know. It's just like, it's so much, man. It is. Well, that so there's like there's like two things. So the response to that is not only the persuasion of, of guilt, but it's also showing like, no, no, look, look how much intermixing right. there was. Right. Because this, this is the, the new world and new age. And look, look at us. It's part of that whole I don't see color. We're all one race. Right. Does that make sense? And we're talking about once again, that that blood quantum, the and also one drop rule of like, but look, we're if we're interconnected, how can I be an oppressor? How can we begin to have reparations? How can we return land back? Does that mean because I have a mysterious great grandmother? Do I right. get that as well? And um, it just kind of dilutes the massive impact. It dilutes that there was an erasure. How could there be when I am here and I have a mysterious, untraceable great grandmother who right. might have been native? And so there's that kind of response to it, right? Of like, but there can't be. There was an erasure. There are whole tribes yeah. that are gone. Yeah, I'm here, right? So the, we we have we have that, and then also because of a lot of uh, matrilineal things and a lot of kinship family structures had to be changed because whenever these civilized tribes were even allowed to have ownership of land and that's allowed and that was if it had to be through the male because they wanted once again part of erasure is changing family structures where beforehand that wasn't it but now in order for that to happen it had to go through the male and so one that's just another layer of trying to actually change the history 
And that's the trickling down of what we're seeing today, not being able to really have that connection, not being able to really, really trace unless it happened to be with males, which of course there was a slaughtering, the taking, the imprisonment, the depression, the depravity that all happened within the male side as well. So put the land in the few males names and then get rid of the males. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then in terms of that too, and I think you touched touched on this just now, but I want to say explicitly is that these rules were laid in place so that white people could still stay white, but they could claim descent from indigenous people Mm -hmm. and thus have rightful claim to the land, to the traditions, to all of it. And we see it done legally. What is it? 1920s? 1924? The, uh, The Racial Integrity Act in Virginia, right? And so that was like actively enforcing this one drop rule with the exception for white people who could claim a distant indigenous grandmother. And it was lobbied by the so-called first families of Virginia who all claimed to be descended from Pocahontas, including Miss Nancy Reagan, right? Like these are like, it's, it's gross. It's so gross. Well, it's, it's, once again, it's the over-romanticization of what actually happened yeah. during that time. I think we have really bought into the the desolate, barren land and that there was camaraderie. There might have been tension, but eventually we helped one another and then there was intermixing and working of the land. And, and I think that's what we talk about when we talk about critical race theory, when we talk about colonialism theory, why this is so important. Because we really need to once again put our lenses on the actual factual history of that and not the over sexualization of indigenous women and not the savagery ideal put on to indigenous men and not the romanticism of what life was actually like. Yeah. Like we actually we talked about this, I think, in a mini so just recently about Gold Rush and how that era was horrifically romanticized and it was just yeah. bloody. It was awful. Yeah. It's all these like <laughs> these weird fantasies around settler colonialism and Mm -hmm. how becoming without becoming right like it's like having that claim without actually having to become that i feel like a different thread to trace in that direction is the adoption of like indigenous practices and knowledge by settler colonialists by more often than not white people it's like return to the land sort of mentality that seems to be very popular or like we see it a lot in new mexico these white people who like bling out in the turquoise and like have all this well i've always been connected to to indigenous culture and then we see it like with these narratives that make it sound like it's more common than it is, like ceremonial mm-hmm. adoptions into into tribes, right? Because like there is a lot of you don't claim a tribe, a tribe claims you, right? Like that, and that's an important mm-hmm. mentality. And yes, it does happen sometimes that white people are adopted, right? We have John Smith being adopted in 1607 by Pocahontas's father, right? We have that all the way down to, um, in recent years, <laughs> Johnny Depp being adopted into the Comanche tribe, which I have feelings, but I also I Do also we- have a, a branch of my family who's Comanche, and they all went out for that to to be part of it. So I I have complicated <laughs> complicated feelings, and it's <laughs> we're getting. She's not gonna break this whole. No, I'm just related it's to just everyone. So um, <laughs> yeah, girl, it's not a family tree. It's like a family it's orchard. True. It is just it's yeah. mahusive. It's, but it's also it's like not my place to decide where, like, and how tribes uh. decide to claim people. And so I don't think girl, right. that is the problem. I don't think Johnny Depp being adopted into the Comanche tribe is the problem. I think the problem is like the reverberation of that, of this idea that this fantasy of like, you know, you can become part of this too, when it's like very rare that it actually happens. My issue with this is that that is not the fix. Yeah. Right. My white co-conspirators, that is not the fix. It, the white fix is not to to try to assimilate, is not to appropriate, is not to return to the land and 
grab further your claws into the life, the history, the religion, the belief, the practices of indigenous people. And I think that is what's been kind of pushed is the narrative of this is how we fix it. That further intermingling to kind of squage any kind of guilt or responsibility or any further actions. You know, and that that doesn't that's not it, boo boo. I'm so sorry. If you legitimately want to take that journey and do the work, do your research and learn and love about that, that is more than fine. It doesn't stop there. Right? That doesn't solve anything. It doesn't squelch anything. It doesn't diminish any or it does actually diminish the experience. It just tries to make you kind of feel better and it drops responsibility. And that uh, you know, Danny and I were talking about the head of the show of like education and learning about what actually really happened once again is just the very, very, mm-hmm. very first step in many, many. And it does once again, that doesn't fix it either. <laughs> but in in true unicorn fashion, we don't necessarily have the solution. It is much bigger. I mean, I think both of us can agree we probably just scraped the surface of our notes, scraped the surface of what we wanted to talk about. But let's actually, Danny made a really great comment. So I want to kind of touch this. Um, as an individual response, Danny, how do we, what's the ongoing decolonization of ongoing settler colonialism? <laughs> I'm dating her. Of ongoing settler colonialism. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I could probably just do a whole fucking episode on yeah. that question. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. <laughs> With decolonization, mm-hmm. it has become sort of a buzzword, right? Like decolonize your mind, decolonize your beauty, decolonize your your education, decolonize. And it's just like thrown. It is just out there. It is. <laughs> girl, it is Mardi Gras beads at a Sign at a up parade, for my girl. class just... to decolonize yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Sorry. And sometimes it's real gross like that. And sometimes it's really well-intentioned people who want yes. to to remove this colonial mindset, who want who want to really think about these things. Here's the problem. I think a lot of times when you're using this language, we are all colonized, we are all products of this system. While it might be a true statement. It is like deceptively vague and it is is something, as you were saying, Tamika, is like something that is done just to alleviate guilt. And I think there are a few things like you can't buy a class to decolonize yourself. One, like selling a class Mm -hmm. is like rooted in this capitalist system, which is a product of settler settler Mm -hmm. colonialism. So you're just buying further into the system for one. For two... Um, You cannot decolonize yourself as an individual. Colonization is not an individual act. It is a structure. So you can't just decolonize yourself and exist outside of the system. Such a thing doesn't doesn't exist. So I think when we're talking about this idea of decolonizing, we need to be careful. When we're talking about decolonizing, it isn't just existing in the system and like switching some things around and we're decolonized like we are talking about a complete upheaval of a system we aren't talking about a system in which we're talking about this colonial triad where the black and brown people take the positions of dominance over white settlers the the Uh aims of it is not to just like shift people around in this triad and for everyone to just swap spaces and for things to to continue as it is the goal is very much a break of this relentless structure of this triad when we're talking about people. And so that's that's a break. That is not a compromise. That is not existing within the system and just reimagining. It is a complete break. And that is huge. <laughs> that is a huge it's huge. Guys, I'm over here like losing my mind. I'm trying so hard not to make too much <laughs> background noise, but I'm just like I am just like trying not to bang on yes. I, I think it's 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 bigger. We've it's it's gone beyond that because if we truly believe what we're saying in the beginning, if it's indeed a structure, we did a complete overhaul. That has to like a, a, an overhaul of that looks something completely different. I think that's yeah. why it's hard for us to talk about because like it's gonna look 
what does it look like for us to not have territorialization to convert property yeah. back into land? What is it like? What does it look like not to trade like our actual labor and services for for capitalist right. gain? Like, what does that look like? So I have some things that know. it has to look like. So it, it does okay. mean that land has to be repatriated. Like it has to be yes. repatriated to sovereign native tribes and nations like that that's part of this decolonization means that absolutely decolonization also means the abolition of slavery in all of its contemporary forms so we're not just talking about like slavery like the slave trade we're talking about the current justice system we are talking about like like there's there is dismantling that needs to be done there we also are talking about the dismantling of the current system the current like nation as we see it has to be entirely dismantled the us is built on this idea of settler colonialism so if we're talking decolonization the us cannot exist like the us cannot exist the way that it does <laughs> yeah. and so when you see this word decolonization thrown around ain't nobody talking about that like <laughs> Give me a fucking break. <laughs> which is so, which is so sad. And we, and unfortunately, well-intentioned people do, we talked about this, like, activism. Yeah. You know, I talked about, like, so there's a history, once again, in notes I didn't really get, get to, but there's a small part, like, people who were sent to help and thought right. they were helping kind of got it wrong. Or, you know, I'm talking about, like, missionaries, researchers, activists, like, yeah, help by not yeah. helping, like stop in, in the most loving way humanly possible, right? Because it's not that simple because you've tried to go into an area of what you thought decolonization looked like. And you're right, it isn't a power switch, right? It isn't a kiss up makeup, right? It's not even like the why can't we all just get along or we talk about a lot of the show making space for each other. No, it is a huge, massive transformation. And I just don't even think people or activists know when they're saying decolonization, what that looks like. I think there's like, we talked about uh, a friend of mine who who is a uh, libertarian less do you do you boo boo but we talked about this within the party of like you cannot just say something is wrong and not offer that right. solution and i think there's that kind of an even liberal mind thinking of well this is a problem we need to fix it i agree how do we do that well decolonization Ooh, do you understand what right. you're asking i think because oftentimes we're hearing decolonization from settler mouths and um mm. Uh, decolonization is not about reconciliation. Like, it's not. And it's not about rescuing, like, a settler's future in this world and alleviating them of guilt and restructuring them. It is not concerned, like, decolonization as a system is not concerned about what are the consequences of decolonization for the settler. And I think that is part of the problem because within a settler colonialist system, everything is set up from the settler mindset. And so when a settler is talking about decolonizing, they are unable to take their that mindset away. And so it's it's just like a huge framework. Something something that we were talking about off air is I find settler colonialism to be a lot like climate change in terms of how I, I think about it and how I approach it. I think it feels overwhelming. It feels all-encompassing. And it feels like, on my worst days, that it's too late to do anything about it. Um, but I think, like climate change, instead of being focused on decolonization in terms of of settler colonialism for me it has to be rooted at least in part in some smaller anti-colonialist steps and struggles um, rather mm. than decolonization because to tackle that entire framework in one go for me as an individual feels completely yes. undoable but mm. that isn't to say that i don't support the idea of decolonization but i also recognize that decolonization has to be first and foremost accountable to indigenous sovereignty um and indigenous futures so i think even myself as a, as a person who is indigenous 
I have a hard time looking at things not from a settler mindset. You know, and so I think that's a really great place to kind of begin in thinking of your mind. What if it wasn't that wasn't the narrative that wasn't the hero that wasn't the person who got what they wanted. That was not the center of the universe. And I think that is that takes practice. That takes a lot of practice because you're right. If decolonization and decolonization was the goal, uh, settlers would be homeless. You'd be landless. And what would that look like? And even just thinking like that very, like very basic, like even if you just take that very simple line of thinking of thinking like as a settler, I would be landless. Like you would have to let that sit in and what that would mean for the rest of your life and the systems that you occupy and the life that that you have. Like you can't just think of it locally. Yes. My goodness. So it's, you can see why Danny and I were like, let's do it. Let's, let's try it. Let's tap the keg. Um, We're not going to finish it, but we're going to try to start it. I don't know. There's a, a book I started that I think was by someone I've been following there, uh, Roxana Dunbar Ortiz. It's like not a nation of immigrants, settler colonialism, white, white supremacy, and a history of erasure and exclusion. Like I said, I between school, I'm slowly reading through books, but I thought it was an, an important piece. But I think that's helping you kind of really set into those categories that Danny really perfectly put. And I know it's helping me kind of reset my mind of where I fit into this, into this machine and into the cog of settler colonialism. So and I'm sure I haven't read the book. I've read other books of hers and articles. But I think that mindset of like we are not a nation of immigrants is like a really important mindset to think about and to think about what is an immigrant, right? Like in the definition of an immigrant, an immigrant is somebody who comes to a new land with the idea that they are going to abide by the laws of that land, that they are going to become part of that land of that nation. The settlers who came over did not have that mindset. They had the mindset that they were coming to land that was free and open and virginal. And I keep intentionally using the word virginal because I think this is also wrapped up in ideas of gender and like the domination of women. But we don't have to go down that road. Oh, yeah. Oh, and religion. Oh, Oh, don't even get like. Yeah, the settlers came over with the idea to take over the land, to create their own nation on the land. So I think they are not immigrants. We are not a country founded by immigrants. And I think we've talked about this on the show, so sorry to repeat, but I've always had an issue with that as somebody who is indigenous. Like, if, if we are a country of immigrants, then who who the fuck am I? Like, why am I here? And who the fuck are you, Jamaica? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What does that mean? And then um, especially it's so it's interesting of even having us and not a nation of immigrants because of our relationship with actual immigrants. Also that. Oh, oh, girl. Oh, my God. Can we just have a picnic and just like and just like talk about this? (laughs) Because like if we take what this just just not even or no, let's take globally. Let's just take the whole shebang. If we take globally of how we treat in our our relations with immigration then settler babies come on man do you want to be treated how you treat immigrants <laughs> like if we're going by that indeed definition once again when in this process if you do not know which team if you don't know which group that you're in that is what is going to severely impact how you go forward in doing yeah. this work yeah so you have to know where you have to know where you are boo boo and it is hard work and you have to you have to really take that responsibility and the identity of where you play in that. You got to get those labels right. We we're in a place where like we're trying not to label in some places, but some of some of us need to understand where we fit yeah. into and that. And some of us are a and combination of more than one. Like and that's that's yep. the and multiracial experience, multi-ethnic experience for the for us unicorns, right? Hi, we're biracial unicorns. It's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yes. <sighs> oh my goodness. But yeah, just some things to think about as we move into Thanksgiving season. Yeah, just I mean, you can ask someone to pass the cranberry sauce and just ask them like is decolonization even a thing that can be possible happen? Right. <laughs> like just real cash. Just like toss it out there. No one's watching football anyway. Just like bring it up. <laughs> is Thanksgiving happening? Thanksgiving's happening, right? Is it, ha- girl? I it's so I we talked we talked that we don't know if Halloween's happening. 
is that going to just be the question that's going to like for the next foreseeable couple of years of like, is, are these things actually happening? Are people doing these things? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Y'all make me a plate regardless. (laughs) You set up a PO box just to get. (laughs) Do not put any green bean casserole on my, y'all, y'all, I don't care how mixed I am. That is like. (laughs) I'm a vegetarian, so I'm just eating potatoes. It's fine. No, I'm I'm just kidding. I'm all about the side dishes. There's plenty of side dishes. She she loves it, but I make a great vegetarian Thanksgiving loaf that is slightly mm. famous. It is so cute. It's like as long as it doesn't taste like meat. No, I'm not into the taste of no. Meat. It's a veggie Wellington. It's like roasted butternut squashes, and I take like a stuffing. Oh, that sounds and, like, nice. Wrap that in in puff pastry. So when Ooh, you that cut sounds it, it's really like, nice, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a veggie Wellington. Like just grilled. It. It's but yeah. A- ask around. They know about me. <laughs> All right. On that on that happy note, let's let's yeah. descend further into the happiness bubble and talk about our happy mm. places. Indeed. Mika, what's your happy place? Since we we keep using the word decolonization, this that we have. I think oh, no. <laughs> if you're playing a drinking game, don't do it. That's not the it's one. It's too to late, Tamika. You can't tell someone that this late into the game. <laughs> Dang it! I was always really bad at these. So if you actually are with us, if you're standing up straight, um, actually, I'm gonna say twerking is my happy place. Excellent. Uh, Like um, your twerking or watching videos of twerking or just like twerk worthy music. I mean, if we can go through the whole diaspora of of twerking. (laughs) (laughs) Diaspora of twerking. Uh, Actually, you know what? It's actually, it's so my twerking is, you know, she's seen better days. She's a little rusty. She can still wind and grind. Girl, it's COVID. Uh, that's fine. Yeah, right. Yeah, everyone's a little, all their twerking's a little lumpy, except for these children out there in these streets with these videos. Oh my goodness. Anyway, that's a story for another day. It's it's Lizzo's twerking. She actually did a TED talk about twerking. And it is, it just makes me smile. I think Lizzo in herself, in her, in her, it's beyond body positivity. She's a you gem. Talk about Can I just say that? Like, she's yeah. just a gem. I love Lizzo. She is. It's true. And it's not. I think so many people are just like, oh, body positivity. Well, yes, yes, true. But it's not just like being positive. It's just like, this is my body and the, just the love that she has for it. And if you've ever seen this woman perform, like she is giving it. She is a healthy woman who is Lady Thickums. And I just think for someone who always struggles to accept their body, it's just so great for her to even, in her TED Talk, talk about her body and twerking and working on that self-confidence and talking about her own insecurities within today it's just something like i always as a, as as a fat woman i always need i always always need that because i'm constantly reminded how um it's actually funny adele who i actually also really enjoy i told you guys i was mixed she's just getting so much attention for her massive weight loss yeah. which girl do you be healthy you've got a kid if that's what you want i am for you i i think you've always been a freaking stunner like classic beautiful woman but i was telling my husband how ups like i was actually like physically upset of just the amount of attention and focus on this amazing singer songwriter musician about her weight loss girl because at the end of the day as women what are we except our bodies to the media and Yes. And it really is like as a mixed woman who is slightly darker, who I don't think I'm very traditional European standards of beauty. I um, think you're beautiful. Like, I don't know about traditional standards, but you are like just like physically like one of the most beautiful people I know. (laughs) Like, I'm just going to put that out there. I'm going to cry, you guys, because Danny does not put on airs. (laughs) (laughs) She did not mean it. She would not say it. It's true. It's true. (laughs) I'm the gushy one. And it's. 
uh, but I just see her and I'm just like, I, I just like, this is this woman. And I love it. She is constantly just be like, you can't wear that. And she like literally at Cardi B's birthday, she wore like this beautiful lavender sheer mesh glittery, like just kind of overlay, almost like a pool muumuu that you could just see right through in just some draws and some dreams. That is it. And I'm just like... I'm just amazed at that. So her twerking has been my happy place of I need to just have that and like love, just love this body and embrace for what it does and what it is. Yeah. So now just remind yourself, Uh like, what is your body doing for you? Like, yeah, all the amazing things (laughs) your body does for you, like Mm -hmm. without thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think, like I said, if you guys want to watch a TED talk about twerking, highly, highly recommend (laughs) <laughs> yeah what, what about you Danny what's making you happy yeah I so my first thought was it's it's getting cold and so that means both my cats are sleeping with me which I love but I feel like I've done a lot of like not easily replicated happy places lately so I'm gonna I just want to honorary mention that um, shout out to Kumo and Krychek thank you for all you do and keeping me warm while you sleep <laughs> But, but I think my happy place is going to be Squid Game. I have to go Squid Game. Have you I, have you watched Squid Game? So, girl, when I tell you on my personal notes, it was Ask Danny about Squid Games. <laughs> I haven't. And I wanted to know if you have. It was like if it was the hype because I've heard like translation issues and like. I mean, OK, so it is super hyped is all over the social media. If yeah. if people have it's not heard about Squid Game, I don't even know how you're listening to this podcast. Yeah. But I think it's really good. I'm not done with it yet. Really? By the time okay. this episode airs, I will have finished. But we're kind of like savoring it one episode at a time. It feels like, one, it's really heavy, so it would be hard mm. to binge. But at the same time, like, it's so gripping that you like there's this impulse to binge but i'm watching it with my husband who is not a binge person so we have to watch it one episode at a time uh (laughs) he's not a binge person he doesn't like scary stuff i know he doesn't like scary stuff but we're watching it but it's really good i mean like korean cinema is good it's been increasingly popular in recent years Mm -hmm. for a good reason because it's just production value is good the writing is good the acting is good all of it so i'm watching it in korean with subtitles and Mm. and i'm enjoying it but i have a friend who watched it dubbed into english so if that's your jam if it's if it's any of the listeners jams that it's it sounded like he really enjoyed it. And he said that the voice acting was really good and matched really well. And it was easy to like lose yourself in in the fact that it was dubbed. So so I don't know. I, I'm enjoying it. I think it's worth it. It's a gripping mm. story. It is hard. Episode six, I was just like tears streaming down my face. <sighs> Could not handle things. Like my husband did not talk to me the rest of the night he was just like so in his head about it like it was really mm. emotional Ugh, but man yeah so episode six was rough but i hear that episode six is the hardest <sighs> okay so uh, so one i think we both talked about how we have a hard time like getting on trends yeah we really struggle with that and i know so the premise is, is like you play these games to help alleviate your debt right and everyone's in this yeah that's debt. like the rough okay the rough because apparently i don't know what movies are really about so well, i, have to I mean you. i mean that is <laughs> but i think like the nuanced description would be would be quite quite different um okay because it's you know it's like all i knew going in was that it is commentary <laughs> capitalism and mm-hmm. these uh, hierarchical class systems that we have. And that's totally what it is. But I think there's also, there's just like a lot of nuance in it. Mm. And see, my heart is just like seeing people just struggle for the struggle. Girl, it Girl. is it is triggering left and right. It that's, is. That's why I'm just like, am I in a place to just be fully brought to the brink of all things that I I fear and enrage me yeah. at all times, but I also low key like the pain. Yeah, or else I wouldn't be in this business, <laughs> right? <laughs> so okay, okay, yeah, no, oh, but good. the all acting right. is good, the writing is good, the design is like captivating. It looks 
Um, it looks so beautiful from all like the little snippets that Netflix will keep saying, hey, everyone else has watched this. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> if you have a you? problem with, with murder and torture and blood, <laughs> maybe then you must not live in America. Right. Maybe skip. <laughs> um, but. Oh my goodness. Okay. Okay. Good. And I can like tick that off that I asked Danny about. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm into it. And of course, because we're hopefully a Korean person isn't listening to this and going to get mad at me. But I I think because of our own background, having lived in Japan, my husband and I, it's like lots of comparisons between (laughs) Japan and Korea um, Mm. as as we watch it, um, which I know is like problematic for for a variety of reasons but yeah it's it's interesting because i've i've only been to korea twice south korea twice um so i'm a lot less familiar and and i'm over here i feel so fucking bougie i'm over here i've only been to south korea twice like it's like i was going to call you out <laughs> after the show was over i was like oh i'm sorry <laughs> But but no, but I mean, that's very natural. It's just that it's really great that you can draw upon those experiences because that means you're going to have a different lens of the movie. And I think that's I that I think that's what we talked about Korean film and more movies that are dubbed and sub are becoming a little bit more mainstream. I think yeah. last year, the year before, there was a couple of like there's like a Bruja movie and there was like a couple other ones that were like Spanish. Yeah. And I thought, huh, becoming and they're like globally right. becoming number one. And I thought. This is a this is a healthy direction because people are going to be pulling almost different experiences to enjoy and to express yeah. their thoughts on the movie. Yeah, and a, I'm for that. A thought I really had was like guns in this in this film. My husband and I Ugh. talked about that. Was like for Ugh. a Korean audience, it must be a totally different feel than for an mm-hmm. American audience because guns are so ubiquitous here. And seeing like the cop with the gun, we're just like, yeah, of course he's a cop. But like in Korea, <laughs> that would be a totally different reaction, uh-huh. right? So I think that's really interesting how these films can transcend culture that way. And different audiences probably have different reactions to different parts of it. Mm. So and it, it's good. And I'm, I'm, I want more of those different reactions. Like, And also people making films with that in mind. Yeah. Of like, how do we, it's not because I don't feel like the showing of guns is like pandering to like the a mainstream no. culture. What is it saying by doing that? It's very purposely done. And if we don't pick up on that nuance and we lose at that, but that's someone yeah. else's gain and that's okay. Yeah, totally. Like, totally. That's totally okay. So, uh, okay, I'll do it. I have so many things. I've had like a laundry list of like homework things to watch. <laughs> There's so, so many things. There's so, so much. Many I'm things. Like, it feels dumb to say. I'm so behind on watching so many things. Um, but also add to your list if it's not already there. Sorry to diverge a little longer. Mm. Reservation dogs. Got to Is it worth the hype? Absolutely. 100%. Okay, is it? Watch it. Okay. Okay. Which one would you do first? I mean, I feel like Squid Games is such a part of the cultural zeitgeist right now. Oh, so it, yeah, so... T- like hop on before hop it on dies. before it dies hop on before things are ruined for you <laughs> okay we're not there's been already so many parodies of, i've never that's what's crazy i remember the last big netflix one was right at the beginning of the uh lockdown which oh, was tiger, tiger king, king which i still haven't seen yeah. girl i felt like i exploited <laughs> A whole culture of poor white people. How messed up is that? I'm like, I think I just exploited the poor white culture. And then I'm like, Damika, get yourself together. But I did. I felt after watching it, I was like, ooh, that was a story. And then I went, oh, I think I did something bad. Like it was a it was a mixed bag. But now it's just interesting of like what will catch on and what will yeah what will just settle into it, what people will gravitate and hang on to. It's so interesting. But yeah, I definitely recommend Reservation Dogs. I feel like our silos that we have, but I feel like the hype around it was so high within my personal (laughs) silo of like every single person I know was like posting about it and how important that Mm -hmm. representation was. So yeah, I, I think it's also really good also really good writing amazing mm. representation and good acting oh. too from such a young cast oh exciting well between that and danny's nails being painted like candy cord i'm in a much better place than i was this morning <laughs> yeah and you need it we need these pickups um we as really we head do. into the so-called holiday season i don't 
I'm not ready. No one's ever ready. I'm just not ready. But the older I get, the less ready I am. I'll get there. I will. I really, really will. I moved there. I literally moved into a house like and didn't have stuff like for Christmas last year. So I think I, I think I, I'll get there. I really will. I'll get there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm just one day at a time, one episode of Squid Games at a time. Squid Game of <laughs> a time. That's where I'm at. Oh, perfect. We want to hear from you, all your thoughts on settler colonialism, or maybe just some of your thoughts, because I'm sure you have a lot. Is this mm-hmm. something that we should revisit? Is there an aspect of it that we should delve deeper into? Please let us know. You can reach us via email, biracialunicorns at gmail.com. You can also reach us on social media. We are on Instagram and Facebook at Biracial Unicorns, and we are on Twitter at Biracial Magic. We want to give a huge shout out to Deli Pop Art, who's doing our very iconic unicorn picture for our podcast. Please go to her store, check her out. I think she still has some spooky stuff going on. Super cute. We also want to give a huge shout out to Joseph Scott of Citizens of Tape City. Go follow them also on Instagram at Citizens of Tape City and listen to all their cool stuff. Shout out to South Smith Photography, who sends some lovely photos for us. Go look at her. I believe doing Christmas stuff if you're in the Oklahoma area, along with learning about indigenous cultures. Go get your picture taken, right? <laughs> and uh, as always, we just appreciate you all, your, your your feedback, your input, and we just would like more. We're very greedy. And while you're listening to us, if you could please rate us as high as you can and write us a review, that just helps with this information just kind of getting out there. This is what we're doing is to have community and to have a dialogue. And we've done pretty much everything through word of mouth. And we appreciate those who have. We just need a little bit more. And we would just really appreciate that. Yeah. And if you want to drop us some coin, feel free to do so. You can find out more by checking our show notes. Mm-hmm. We appreciate any amount uh, that you can give. It kind of helps us keep the lights on here at Biracial Unicorns in our virtual studio. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, we will be back next week with a mini-sode and in two weeks with another full episode. Indeed. All right. Peace. Out.